there's this, this notion around profiling that it's impossible to do in a team setting because we can't have multiple programs going on at the same time. Well, it's many teams already do it. They just do it based on um, level the athlete is at or number of years they've been in the program. Right. So we have like a beginner program and then we have maybe a more advanced program. I mean, that'd be very common amongst, amongst most programs. But we kind of have the same philosophy, except we just have a profiling process to it. Welcome to the Pacey Performance Podcast, the podcast that dives into the philosophies, ideas, and practices of some of the best practitioners in high-performance sport. Anyone who's anyone in strength and conditioning and sports science right now is talking about speed profiling or sprint profiling. So thankfully, we've got Ryan Grubbs, who's newly appointed Applied Biomechanics Coordinator at the Houston Texans, to chat to us for the next hour about speed profiling, whether that's out on the track or the field, or in the gym in a closed environment. So we dive deep into the kind of tests, kind of tech, uh, anything we can do inside when it comes to isometric testing to inform where we spend our time when trying to get our athletes fast. So for the next hour, trust me, grab a pen and paper and you will fill whatever's in front of you because absolutely top class next hour so enjoy samson equipment has been manufacturing elite strength equipment since 1976 based in new mexico samson provides professional weight room solutions for those looking to lead the way in advancing our strength and conditioning profession being a direct manufacturer, the team at Samson brings fully customization capabilities in not only branding, but in custom equipment needed to execute your programming. The Samson team brings many years of experience not only in coaching, but in manufacturing high quality strength equipment. So there is no vision too great. If you can dream it, they can build it. Find them on social media at Samson underscore EQ. And for more information, visit their website, samsonequipment.com or email andy at andy at samsonequipment.com. Have you tried Hytro, the wearable blood flow restriction solution that is unlocking better recovery in athletes? While many have used BFR for rehab, Hytro are demonstrating the huge impact BFR can have on recovery and performance when used for post-exercise recovery. Through their innovative design, BFR straps are integrated into shorts and t-shirts, allowing BFR to be delivered to groups of athletes safely and more conveniently than ever before. Check them out at hytro.com or email warren at hytro.com to find out how Hytro can give your athletes a competitive edge. And this episode is also sponsored by Kitman Labs. Kitman Labs is sport's first technology company to offer a complete solution that includes innovative analytics and an advanced athlete management platform that is supported by a team of sports, technology and data science experts with over 200 years experience. Kitman Labs is leading the evolution of sports performance, partnering with over 150 elite teams across the NFL, NHL, MLB, AFL, EPL, and Championship Rugby. Through advanced statistical analysis, rigorous scientific research, and unparalleled industry experience, 
They've architected the world's only analytics platform that helps sports teams to truly harness their data and uncover the influences behind performance optimization and injury risk. To find out more about Kitman Labs, visit kitmanlabs.com or follow them on social media at Kitman Labs. So without further ado, over to the episode with Ryan. Ryan Grubbs, welcome to the Pacey Performance Podcast. It's a pleasure to to welcome you. Appreciate you having me on. It's been a big, big fan for a while, so uh, it's uh, a good it. experience. Stop <laughs> it. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. After the round table with um, Les and JB, there was some unbelievable information shared from them two guys, but obviously you you as well. So it was a, it was a no-brainer to get you on and, and dive a little bit deeper into the profiling stuff um, and also touch on some of the isometric work that you kindly presented for Alex Natera and I's uh, isometric strength training online course. So we'll dive into a little bit of that. But a few changes recently in your background. I know the, the standard question is a bit, bit, a little bit of background on you, but things have changed. Let us know if you can, if you're allowed. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, you know, I've been, I've been lucky. I've been in the college game, college football, SNC for the better part of 10 years now, but I had the fortunate opportunity to um, take a new role at the Houston Texans. So I'm going to be applied biomechanics coordinator, um, working under Matt Van Dyke and Mike Eubanks and the team that they have there is unbelievable. They just hired uh, Sue Falsoni as well, uh, very skilled PT. And so really excited to get down there and uh, get going in the NFL. Nice, mate. Give us – this is a horrendous question to ask from a stupid Englishman. Is that, a long, is that a long way for you? Is that a big change in the environment for you? Mm, it's not a big change. I mean, I've moved all over the place, you know, over the past couple – you know, stops and schools that I've been at. I've lived in the South for a while. So, you know, it's a ways away from Virginia, which I'm where I'm currently at now, but I love the warm weather. So excited to get down <laughs> to Texas. Very welcomed. Very welcomed. Yeah. So what were you doing prior to, prior to Liberty? Give us a bit of background before that. Yeah. So grew up in Indianapolis, <clears throat> was fortunate enough to get a collegiate job right out of, right out of school. And so, um, you know, worked at University of Indianapolis, which was a small Division two college, and it was a great experience. Like, resources there, unbelievable. Um, was there for a while. And then from there, kind of went wanted to go the Power 5 route um, and kind of kind of jumped into there. So went down to Ole Miss, um, had a great experience there, um, had some experience with football, also worked with basketball, um, and then decided to go back into football full-time. Um, went to Louisiana Tech, worked with Kurt Hester, who uh, some of your listeners may know. Um, he's put out some stuff. He's very good, awesome, you know, one of my biggest mentors. And then from there, went to Purdue, um, worked for Justin Lovett, who's the head strength coach for the Rams right now. Um, also, I mean, that was home for me. So great experience there. And then had the opportunity to come to Liberty, um, work with you know, my boss I had close relationship my time at Ole Miss and coach you freeze and you know the things that we've been able to do here have been pretty incredible as far as um, the type of training we're able to do and um, everything like that and so that kind of led me to my role at the Texans so 
Nice. For someone that's in the thick of the the speed education world, obviously the speed, you know, applied world with athletes every day, it's boomed. Like it's seriously boomed. Just the the general interest from the industry. What's it like being a part of that? And has the I suppose this, this is what has led to the the role at the Texans. But what's it been like being in the thick of it? Yeah, it's been pretty incredible, and it kind of went hand in hand with with my journey so far. And so, um, I mean, I grew up as an Olympic weightlifter, right? So I just figured like you can add a couple. Uh, a couple of kilos to their snatch and clean and jerk, like all good. Right. So, but then that revelation, like as I went through the process and was exposed to, to more people and more philosophies and just kind of became inquisitive uh, about what actually influences performance and on-field performance, you start to realize that the the speed and power element of it. And a lot of the, the philosophies taken from track and field are, are very important. And so, that kind of boomed at the same time and which led me to all the relationships that I currently have to this day. And some of my best friends and mentors, when you're talking about guys like Les Spellman and Jonas Dodu and Dr. Ken Clark and uh, just the things that they've been able to do has been pretty incredible. And the influence they've had on the strength and conditioning field. And it's very popular right now to, to kind of blast college collegiate football strength and conditioning. But the, in, in my opinion, and you know, I have a very small sample set. I haven't been around too long, but there's some pretty incredible practitioners in the field and guys who are doing really incredible work. And the field is starting to take it on more and more. I mean, you see it, you see it all the time now. Like Dr. Matt Ray is on with the Saints, and Dr. Brad Deweese is on with the Jets, and the the industry is coming around to the idea of performance led training. And coaches aren't, all coaches aren't stuck in the past of this is how we've done things. So this is what we need to do. And so it's been pretty, pretty incredible to be a part of it. And I mean, the field's definitely going in the right direction. So you sad to leave the collegiate setting? <laughs> I mean, there's always a, a special place in my heart for the collegiate setting. Like I love the development aspect. I love the players. Like it's treated me really, really well. Um, but it's always been an aspiration of mine to go to the professional ranks and be a part of that and, and kind of be at the, you know, the quote unquote top of the industry, right? Is that the NFL is, you know, you're working with the best athletes in the world. And so I kind of, I love that challenge. I love uh, taking on new challenges in that way. And like, hopefully that the way the industry is going now and the NFL and then just keep taking those performance ideas into that setting. Exciting times. Exciting times for you. Congratulations yeah, again. Appreciate let's it. let's dive let's dive into the profiling stuff. So before we get into anything in depth too technical, why do we need to profile our athletes? What information is that giving us? What base is that providing for us to build? Yeah, I mean I think that's the most important question, right? Because it's it is there's a very popular notion and maybe not totally misguided that, you know, just applying like general loads and general training means will be sufficient enough to, to raise the athlete's level of fitness and performance, which I think is very true. Like I think that a very soundly developed program implemented well across the years will take care of roughly 70% of the, the progress that's going to be made for most athletes. But then begs the question of, 
if general programs yield general results, then we need to have another layer of analysis and another layer of depth to what we're doing. And we like to coin it collective individualization. So it's, there's this, this notion around profiling that it's impossible to do in a team setting because we can't have multiple programs going on at the same time. Well, it's many teams already do it. They just do it based on um, level the athlete is at or number of years they've been in the program. Right, so we have like a beginner program and then we have maybe a more advanced program. I mean, that'd be very common amongst, amongst most programs. But we kind of have the same philosophy, except we just have a profiling process to it. Right. So we want to be able to really target our players' weaknesses to really find out where there's limiting factors in their performance. And, and this is a philosophical idea, but I truly believe that linear speed is the anchor point in which all other abilities kind of spin off of. And so if you think of change of direction ability and, and curvilinear running and, and these types of things, they're all going to be a percentage decrement of your linear speed. And so giving them the highest outputs, the highest stimulus is going to be very important for us. And so being able to profile these things, figure out where they're deficient so we can really be targeted with our intervention strategies within the program. Because regardless of, you know, you have more time in the NFL, you have more time in college, you don't have very much time with these athletes by and large without being interrupted by sport practice and in season and things like that. So. If I have six to eight weeks to make an intervention, I want to make sure that the intervention I'm applying to them is is what they need to bring up their performance. So the big question: How do we go? How do you go about that? Yeah. So, like I said, like linear sprint. If we're talking just sprint profiling, which is like I said, is is the crux and the anchor point of kind of our profiling process. Um, we want to see if the athletes have the abilities and the strategies to be able to be effective um, sprinters. Because like I said, we can all of the other uh, performance attributes are going to spin off from there. And so for us, um, we're looking at linear sprint profiling. And so if you look at the work from JB Marin and, and these researchers who've done incredible work in the space, um, they've kind of been the catalyst for a lot of these different profiling strategies for us. And, will essentially get our athletes prepped to be able to perform these assessments. Because if you bring your athletes in day one, sprinting them out to 30 yards is probably not a very sound idea. So being able to prepare your athletes to be able to test so we can get insights and, and into these weaknesses. So we use the linear sprint profile as our, as our first layer of analysis. What do I want to know? What's important to me, if you always take it back to, to the beginning stages is, how fast are they going from A to B? Like that's really what's the most important thing in its simplest terms. And so for us, it's gonna be velocity and times. And so that's gonna be our way that we first kind of bucket our athletes into three separate groups. So if you think about a, a normal a speed curve over time, you have an area of, of initial acceleration, you have an area of transition, and an area of top speed. So those are, those are essentially our three groups. Where are you strong and where are you deficient? Just based off velocity and time, because it's always going back to going from A to B. And so if we know that our athletes are weak in acceleration, then we can look to their strategy. 
So here in comes the aspect of force velocity profiling and using modeled velocities over time. And so one of the, and I've already alluded to this in, in the last talk that we had, but one of the biggest benefits of, of JB Marin's um, spreadsheets and work is being able to input split times and getting modeled velocities over time. So through that, I can see, I can get essentially tau, which is basically their max speed over their max acceleration. So from that one metric, I can determine, are they acceleration dominant or velocity dominant? So that gives me an insight into their strategy. So it's, I know where they're deficient based on those three, those three areas, acceleration, transition, max velocity, it's three groups. Then why are they deficient? Can they not orientate themselves well? Can they not go horizontal? Do they not have the proper amount of horizontal force production? Is it their DRF? Do they fail to transition upright? Can they accelerate and shoot out like a cannon, but they fall forward or they pop straight up? So you're getting like deeper, another layer of analysis. So analysis essentially in profiling is just peeling back the layers to figure out where the lowest hanging fruit is. Like what is the, the thing that's going to be closest to the sprinting action that's going to have the maximal effect? And so once we can use FVP to kind of get an insight to strategy, then we, then we start to look at other physical assessments and technical assessments as far as video and kinematics to say, okay, the data is showing me this. I see the numbers on the sheet, but what's happening in the run? Are they touching down too far in front? Are they not able to project themselves very well? And then what do their physical assessments say around it? Because the issue, whether with all of these different groupings, is it physical or is it technical? That's essentially the question. And usually it's a combination of both. So if it's a physical issue, I don't want to stress myself too much of trying to implement technical interventions. They don't have the physical underpinnings to be able to perform the action I'm asking them to. So therein lies the problem of not testing and not getting data is I'm asking myself constantly, are they having this, this strategy issue to where they can't project or they, they fall forward? Are they having a strategy issue because they don't know how to do it or because they can't do it? And so this is the, herein lies the question of like all of this different profiling and all these different layers of analysis is you're just getting answers to questions that you see. And so it's, it's always watch the run, cue the run, see what the data tells you. And so that's why it's a combination of, of all those different factors. So which which bit of that process, and you're probably going to say multiple, it's multifactorial, which bit of that process is giving you the biggest portion of information which lets you decide, I think this is a more of a technical issue than it is a physical issue, or it's more of a physical issue than it is a technical issue? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think you need all of it, right? Because if I, if I, do, if I do the video analysis, that tells me a lot. Because numbers on a spreadsheet or numbers on a sheet saying, okay, these are split times as velocities. This is FVP data. I want to know, I want to feel the run, right? So being able to have the video and the technical analysis along with it can show why they're having these issues. But I also need to really get an understanding of their physical underpinnings. Like, I think it's vastly important because, again, if... 
if I'm trying to apply a, a technical intervention to a physical problem, that's an issue. And usually there's a lot of times where you can apply both. So let's say an issue, uh, an athlete has an issue with uh, being able to project themselves and switch their limbs fast in space. If I, if I can't switch my limbs, I'm not going to be an efficient accelerator. I'm just not. And everyone has this uh, opinion of uh, bad backside mechanics. Well, backside mechanics allow for propulsion. And so, and then switching allows you to get out of backside very quickly. It's when I don't have the reactivity and the switching ability to be able to get from the back to the front very quickly when it's an issue. So let's say I have an issue of being able to project myself and they fall forward and they touch down far in front. It could be an airtime issue um, or it could just be they're, they don't have the strength to be able to do it. So applying a heavy sled stimulus could solve mo- both of those issues at the exact same time. It'll give me a specific strength stimulus. It'll allow me to orientate myself forward with no fear of falling. And it will take away some of my airtime, so I'm required to switch. But I need to know what their specific load velocity profile is with a sled before I, I kind of go down that route and automatically assume that it's an issue. So if you do a, a load velocity profile with a sled, the slopes of all of the lines are not the same. So some athletes are fast at heavy loads relative to body weight, and some athletes are slow at heavy loads relative to body weight. And that doesn't equate with their ability to accelerate with an unresisted load. So this is one of the most specific layers of analysis that we can take because heavy sleds have have been a very important uh, means of training for a lot of different people and very popularized for good reason because they do work. But if I have an athlete who can't accelerate, there is a possibility that they are very fast with heavy loads. So they have the specific strength to be able to um, use their, their general strength, apply it in a very specific context, running against a heavy load. So if that is the case, that would lend me to believe that maybe it's largely a technical issue their ability to to disassociate their limbs and be able to switch or their reactivity. Because if there's a gap in that profile, so if they're, if they're in group one, that's going to take my eyes to the heavier loads on their load velocity profile is, can you run fast relative to the group at heavy loads? If you can't, that's an easy low hanging fruit piece for us. So we'll tackle that and bring up your specific strength because Again, JB has kind of talked about in his research that heavy sleds, like very heavy sleds are, it's not sprint training, it's specific strength. And so we use that as a very specific layer of analysis for our guys to try to improve some of those qualities. So you've mentioned the force velocity profile and then now the load velocity profile. So would you be able to just, give, just clarify what the load velocity profile actually is and how you would run that? And one thing that JB mentioned when we brought this up in the round table was the friction assessment, which I think was was not new, but maybe a maybe a um a refresher for some that that has to be done if we if we're using different surfaces. And just maybe give us a bit of a an insight into if you if you do that and how you go about doing that. Yeah, I mean currently we don't do that because we're blessed to have 1080s. Right? So so th- and this is a very important part of the profiling process is like how are you getting your data? Because, and, and this is this is along the same lines of what JB says, is shit data in is, you know, shit data out. And so for us, like, 
we know that 1080 is going to be very solid data for us. So that's what we use. And so for us, when we run our load velocity profile, we essentially are going to run them at, at 1 kg, 10 kg, 20 kg, 30 kg. So we'll do an even distribution of, distribution of loads and we'll see what their peak velocity is at each load. So the peak velocity they run at each load, it's going to correspond to a certain load velocity point at any point in the axis. And if they're running at maximal intensity, that'll be a linear trend. And so we'll take those loads and we'll make them relative to body weight to be able to even out and make all of those values normalized. And then from there, we use normalized load relative to peak velocity. And then we take the slope of that line. And so we're able to tell based on positional group norms, how fast or slow someone is at a relative body weight load. And so that will tell us because a lot of people will do that. And we do do it in our, um, our normal gym assessments. But it's like, if you're going to do that in your, in your general physical underpinning assessments, let's do it in our specific profiling as well. And so we're able to tell that if athletes have a pretty big gap in their specific strength. And then the FVP is essentially, like we said, strategy. So we'll, again, we'll use it on the 1080. Um, we'll run it at 1kg. And we'll basically get um, all of the split times across the entire run. Or you can use, you know, instantaneous data as well. Okay, there's either way you can do it. Um, it's perfectly fine. But then we're able to extrapolate, uh, you know, F0, RF, DRF, V0, um, those variables, and essentially use that data to plot velocity over time. So that, that's really one of the most important things that we're looking at is that um, F0 is, is essentially, for, for all intents and purposes, acceleration max. And V0 is essentially maximal speed. And so it's an acceleration speed profile over time. We're able to get the tau value, which is velocity over acceleration and be able to see where are they strong at. They're, they're, they're more force dominant because they're a stronger accelerator relative to velocity or vice versa. And so most people um, conflate force velocity profiling and load velocity profiling. And they're not the same thing. Two very different two very different tests and strategies to be able to get um, uh, insights into what your athletes are doing. So for those who don't have the luxury of a 1080 or multiple 1080s, what other options have practitioners got? I mean, we spoke in the round table about, about my sprint, um, but I'm sure there's other options that are available. Yeah. Um, I mean, you can use GPS, you can use timing gates, um, you can use radar, which we don't use, um, you know, you can use any number of these things. You can use my sprint video analysis is going to be the next wave. I, I mean, I really think that, that you, combining, we'll dive into that in a minute, Ryan. Yeah. Yeah. So it's going to be the next way to essentially FB profile your athletes as well. And so like using AI technology and things like that, you'd be able to extrapolate instantaneous velocity across the entire run. So, um, but yeah, not having devices is, is largely not a good reason to, to get insights into what your athlete's profile is because there are so many different means and methods that you can use. So, 
it's just which one's going to be the most efficient for you um, and how you can kind of speed up your data collection process. Let's have a little dive into the video stuff because it, it looks cool as hell when it's on it's on social media and people you know people see it in action. But how how reliable is it in terms of joint position and getting those getting those points accurate enough? Because obviously, if, if you're I don't know twenty meters away, getting it very slightly wrong on the knee where the where the knee actually is positioned, that's going to make a lot of difference. So in terms of reliability, what how, how are we looking when it comes to that kind of analysis? I mean, I think it just depends on your skill, right? And so it depends on what we're talking about as well. If you're just trying to get time and velocity from point A to point B, it's very easy to track the hip in the center of the pelvis. Like that, that's, that, that wouldn't be too far off of most people's skill sets. And that would require you to potentially be further back away from the athlete. But yes, if you're if you are very far away from the run lane, and you're essentially your point of view is trying, you're trying to maximize your point of view to be able to give a bigger screenshot. When you're talking about angles and distances and and touchdown distances and things like that, it could get a little bit tricky because a slight twitch one way or the other is going to largely affect. Uh, say you're doing total thigh range, it's going to largely affect that range. And so if we're doing specific kinematics around um, acceleration and maximal velocity, acceleration, for example, we're going to be close enough to essentially where we can get zero to five. Zero to 10 would be the maximal. And so if you're that close, you can get the first three to six, seven steps. And the closer you are and the better your setup is, the better your ability to be able to extract the data consistently. And so it all comes down to like just being a skilled and repetition practitioner at it. And so if you have multiple people doing the layer of analysis, it's going to change your data a little bit. But I know that if I'm doing all the analysis for all of my guys, um, it's going to be pretty consistent across the acceleration of the maximal velocity profile. So like I said, if you, if you're doing it just to get speed and time data, you can get it pretty pretty consistent from a from a distance but if you're talking about like really getting kinematics then uh, your point of view needs to be smaller that way you have a bigger the athlete is bigger in your in your view now the next wave is going to be ai which is like this is this is going to be a big one and i've jonas has worked a lot with us and i think he's the gold standard when it comes to coaching eye and kinematics like i don't think there's anyone better that's doing it right there. Um, he's worked with us with with our population here at Liberty, and I've had working experience with him across English um, soccer and rugby teams as well. And seeing the impact that he's had on those organizations is pretty is pretty remarkable, and the work that they're doing. So the data, the technology is coming along fairly quickly, and their their ability to be able to extract that data using near automation is is pretty sound and so it makes the the whole kinematic process relatively quick so what kind of tools are available for the video analysis today and then what tools are available for the video analysis that's coming down the line when it comes to ai and all that kind of stuff all that kind of cool stuff yeah i mean i think right now like you're going to look at your heavy hitters in the space which is which is dartfish canovia 
and binary are going to be the big ones that we've had our hands on. And so um, they've all, they all work well. And like I said, it just comes down to the practitioner being able to utilize the tool to the best of their advantage. Obviously, Canovia is free. It's an open software, as long as you're on Windows and not a Mac. And then binary, um, it's it's pretty cool with the stuff they're doing with binary with some of the AI poses and things like that. And then Dartfish, of course, has been around for a while. And so all three are very powerful and very useful. But I think the next wave is is using some of this. Um, this AI technology is coming, right? It's the next wave. And because essentially the goal is to be able to shoot a video and extract the data instantaneously using using AI and using uh, large data sets that have been collected across time to be able to group athletes based on their deficiencies and their weaknesses and see how all of these variables interact with each other. And so that's coming um, for sure. And like I said, like with that technology, you'd essentially be able to be far enough away from the run lane, have the athlete run 20, 20 meters, 30 meters, and be able to track and get instantaneous velocity. So from there, you can essentially run an FVP right there. No wearables. The athlete doesn't feel like they're they're strapped to anything or, or wearing a GPS vest. Um, it's pretty non-invasive and will give you a lot of deep insights. So who's the big players in this game, Ryan? Binary going down that route? Or is there any, other, any others in the game? Yeah, I mean, I think binary... At least in, in my opinion, from the experience that I've had, it'll be binaries will be kind of leading that charge. So we're just going to take a very quick break in the chat with Ryan. Hope you're enjoying part one. So over in part two, we discuss speed profiling, but what happens in the gym. So jumps, isometric testing, and some of the other things that Ryan and the guys at Liberty and soon to be at the Houston Texans will get up to. So hope you enjoy part two. This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is sponsored by Hawken Dynamics. Hawken Dynamics is the world's first wireless force plate testing system. The Hawken Dynamics system is built for coaches to test in the real world, not just in the lab. Capture reliable data on all your athletes in a matter of minutes and monitor their progress in the cloud from anywhere in the world. The Hawken Dynamics force plates are wireless, portable and trusted by teams at every level of sport. Integrating force plates into your athlete monitoring program has never been easier or more affordable. If you want to see the Hawking Dynamics force plate system in action, head over to their website hawkingdynamics.com to schedule a demo or follow them on Twitter at Hawking Dynamics. And this episode of the podcast is also sponsored by iMeasureU. iMeasureU is used by leading sports practitioners and biomechanics researchers worldwide to capture and compare multi-limb inertial data in the field. IMU Step from iMeasureU is a dual sensor and app lower limb load monitoring tool which helps practitioners optimize return to play for running based sports. iMeasureU have just released their new and improved waterproof sensor Blue Trident which includes ultra-high G capabilities to quantify high-impact steps such as cutting, landing and sprinting, longer-life battery to collect data all day, real-time feedback to aid immediate interventions, and faster workflow so practitioners can review long training sessions within minutes of training completion. 
iMeasureU, now part of Vicom, works with military, pro and collegiate coaches and athletes from around the world, including the Australian Institute of Sport, the US Department of Defence and collegiate and pro teams from around the world. If you want to get to know more about iMeasureU, head over to their website imeasureu.com or follow them on Twitter or Instagram at iMeasureU. And now back to the episode with Ryan. You mentioned GPS when it comes to when it comes to profiling. Is that is, is GPS something that you use? Again, we discussed it on the round table and, and Les gave us a, a bit of a well, a, a big insight into how he uses various different technology GPS technologies to, to to profile his athletes. Is that something that you use? Or 1080 is your chosen uh, is your weapon of choice? 1080 is the the one that we choose to do. Um we like it because we've got a large data set <clears throat> using 1080 and you know their technology across multiple years. And so we're just gonna, we keep it consistent. We use 1080. I think GPS is good if you've got a lot of people that you need to test. And so I think if, if we were doing essentially team runs where we have a hundred guys in one group and we need to slap 50 GPS on guys and we could pull the data out on the back end, that's different. But we usually set up our sessions as essentially performance days is what we kind of call it. And so our performance days are centered around very, very favorable coach to athlete ratios. So we spread our groups out or along the entire day to give ourselves to be able to maximize our impact on that session from a technical intervention standpoint. And those are all our sprint days. And so having small groups, we're able to utilize, you know, a couple 1080s to our advantage. Now, I know there are some programs that run, do an entire team run or entire team sprint session as one. It would be impossible to use a couple 1080s and be able to get athletes through efficiently. So in that case, GPS would have to be used out of necessity. But for us, it's, you know, the ease of use having the 1080, the ease of use having the data there instantaneously. Now you can do live tracking with GPS and things like that. I just trust the 1080 data and not saying the GPS data is bad, but we uh we like the 1080 data and we kind of think of it as the gold standard for us. Cool. Right. We've done on-field profiling. What kind of assessments of off-field assessments are you conducting with your athletes and maybe we'll, we'll do moving forwards as well that's non-field-based, vertical jumps, various different strength assessments that actually feeds into this whole profile to help you guide your speed training program with the athletes that you're working with? What would those be? Yeah, absolutely. I think when you look at most of the research and the information that's out there, sprint profiling, is, like you said, is becoming significantly more prevalent. Um, all you have to do is look to J.B. Marin's research, and you, you can find a lot of information there. But for us, even though force velocity profiling in these different tests are giving you the strategy of how they get to velocity and how they get to speed. It's still largely an outcome measure for us. And it's what we kind of like anchor ourselves to as far as profiling. The other tests that are on the periphery are where we gain much deeper insights and in, into how we can make change to our athletes and how we can make change into um, how they can perform in sprinting and things like that. And so, when we start to ask these questions, is it physical or is it technical? I want to know that if it's a physical issue, I need it needs to be addressed to be able to maximize the impact of, of our technical interventions. So 
for example, we've already went over the load velocity profiling. That for us is a specific strength profile that sits very close to the unloaded sprint profiling process that we do. Now, even another layer removed is gonna be um, our horizontal jump assessment. So we're talking broad jump, we're talking triple jump, we're talking triple broad jump. I wanna know, I wanna get insights into what are the ratios between these tests? And then what are the insights that we can gain from these tests? So if I'm largely successful in a broad jump, but struggle in a triple broad jump, well, I know that my reactive elastic abilities may be suffering. And I need to address that. One, the test becomes the intervention. And two, through other kind of reactive elastic means. So it shows us the ability to, to without large technical implications, orient large forces horizontally and throw myself and project myself forward. Can I do that one time? And can I do it repeatedly and on a single limb? Even more removed from that, we're looking at more tests that are around the periphery is ballistic jumps. So what's the load velocity profile of my jumps? What's the load velocity profile of my strength lifts? From those, we'll be able to tell, are you fast at heavy loads? Or are you fast at light loads? And where are you relative to the position group? Because if those things are struggling, you're going to generally lean towards certain KPIs around certain groupings. So we all we, we talk about it like narrowing our focus. So the sprint profile narrows our focus in. So we see this big run happen. And we're able to, by how we group them, narrow our focus down to a certain segment of that run that we deem most important. And through that lens, we're able to know what KPIs surround that on the periphery. So for example, in acceleration, I want to know, can I broad jump a certain distance relative to the position group? If I can't, that's a very general physical ability that largely great accelerators can do. Will that make you um, extremely fast or run very fast zero to 10? No, but if you're not good at it, we need to address it. Same thing with our, our maximal strength work. Can you produce force? Can you produce force in a general sense? And can you produce force in a specific sense, which is where we get our load velocity profile and sprinting? And so we're looking to our cleans and our Olympic lift derivatives. We're looking to our, our squats and our deadlifts. Like those are still largely important measures that we want to take off if we have athletes coming in that are underprepared. Do they have the general physical underpinnings to produce force? And so we're looking at all of these different measures that surround uh, these different groupings. And we're saying, where are the weak links at? Because if I'm looking at acceleration, again, it's, can I produce large forces, mass-specific forces? Can I orientate them well? But that's a technical component. And can I do it with large elements of reactivity? So if I know that they can produce force, I know that they have the ability to orientate themselves well. But when I evaluate their 10-5 RSI, or I use a run-specific isometric that targets the ankle and the foot, and they struggle, that's an easy piece that we need to address. So it's like you have these physical abilities that surround acceleration, transition, and max velocity, and then you just test measures that be able to give you insights into them. Because if I know that they are largely successful, they're strong, they're reactive, they can do a 10-5 RSI really well, they can move heavy loads very fast, they can project themselves well on a broad jump, but they can't accelerate, 
then we need to work on the technical component. We need to look to the video kinematics and hone in on the technical issues that are surrounding that problem. But if I know that they can't accelerate and they're having technical issues that are kind of manifesting in the kinematics, but they're weak, they can't produce force, they're not reactive off the ground, and they can't project themselves horizontally, well, those are very, very easy issues that we can tick off in our physical training uh, toolbox, in addition to working on the technical interventions at the same time. So you're trying to bring everything up together. And so, you're, like I said, again, it, it really comes down to profiling is narrowing your focus. That's it. I need to narrow my focus in on the things that really matter and have targeted intervention strategies that are going to be able to hit those. So I spoke to Cam Joss uh, about 18 months ago, and he had a similar kind of framework where deficiencies in certain parts of the sprint led to specific gym-based exercises. The, the technical component didn't particularly come into it, but it was more the, the physical side. So do you have that kind of framework? I know you've just described it there that you obviously do, but this kind of framework, almost like a, um, like you're working down this, this, this flow of, Okay, that's not right. That's not right, which means that we believe, based on our experience and our numbers, that this is the issue. Therefore, we have this, this, this that we target, and then trying to hone in on on that on each individual athlete. In my head, that's what it sounds like. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, it largely is. And I think for us, if you if you look to like a Bonderchuk pyramid where you're going from your competition exercise, you have your specific um, developmental exercises, your, your SPE exercises and your general exercises. If you look at it as like a little bit of a pyramid, it's going from specific to general. But there's, there's areas along that entire pyramid that are gonna have some transfer effect to the competition exercise and have large implications on what the, the, the levels kind of proceeding up to that exercise that you need to hit. So. Again, if I'm, if I'm going back to, uh, let's just say maximal velocity. I know an athlete who can accelerate really well. They can transition fairly well, but they just don't have the top end speed ability to kind of be able to, to, to hit high peak velocities. Well, it's like, I know that my V zero numbers, my, my 20 to 30 fly times, my peak velocities, those are going to be my main outcome measures that I'm looking at influencing. And then what are the exercises that are surrounding that on the periphery or in the pyramid on the way down? Well, for us, it's special exercises. So essentially, if you're talking about max velocity, largely it is your ability to apply large vertical forces in short times. If you can apply large vertical forces in short times through big ranges of motion, you're largely going to be a fast runner. And that's seen through Peter Wayans work, Dr. Ken Clark, and, and all of these is that one, I need to be able to hit ranges of motion. So I shouldn't be asking an athlete to get to 105, 100 plus degrees of, of thigh separation at maximum velocity if they can't get there. And so that could potentially be a neurological effect, which is why we do so much split stance work with that group, is that if I'm not used to being able in, in a position where I have one limb flexed and the other extended, so basically pelvic disassociation, if I'm not used to those positions, I'm neurologically, I'm never going to get there. And so doing like split drops and, and reflexive eccentrics is kind of 
you know, uh, Stu has kind of mentioned this as one of the big KPIs for his sprinters is their ability to essentially do these like reflexive eccentric split squats where they fall into it and, and able to apply uh, rapid braking forces to loads on their back. I mean, that's a very, it's a very good indicator of your ability to be stiff under load, have a large system stiffness. And so if we're looking at our specific exercises is can they do bent leg scissors and prime times through for speed through gates? So their ability to use their hip to swing and be reactive and it challenges the posterior chains, a special exercise for us that if we know if that's moving in the right direction, our maximal velocities will largely follow suit. Bounding type exercises. So being able to use bounding coefficients or bounding for time, like those are all exercises that if we get those moving in the right direction are largely going to have influence on our, on our maximal velocity. Same thing when we're talking about the load velocity profile. So in the inverse of acceleration, we're looking at really light loads. Is can you move loads around, you know, 2 to 10% body weight fast relative to the group? Is it running at max velocity? No, but that's what makes it one step removed from the competition exercise. It's saying, do you have the special strength to be able to run against some light loads, but fast? And so we know, like, for those exercises largely that, we can train them throughout every single training week and have them run through gates and time um, during our sessions and constantly monitor the, the progress of our training program without having to get peak velocities. And so, and then you're looking at even more removed is, can you do, can you do triple jump? Can you depth jump to a certain height? Can you do these reactive elastic measures around the foot and the ankle to have, give you the physical abilities to be able to run fast? And so we're, we're kind of training all of these things and seeing where there's gaps and deficiencies. And when you're talking about run-specific isometrics, we've I know we kind of want to lead into this a little bit, but it's important to kind of hit on these that we have certain names around some of these different analysis pieces, and we call this specific joint profiling. So I know that if I can broad jump a certain distance or throw a med ball a certain distance, it's, it's largely taking the technical implications out of it in relation or relative to sprinting. But I still don't know that that's solely coming from my hip. Athletes can compensate any number of ways to be able to throw themselves forward. So I really want to isolate specific joints when I'm looking at deficiencies in their, in their game. So it's what do fast runners do well? They can produce large forces around the hip in short times. They can be really reactive around the foot and the ankle. And they can be really stiff around the knee joint and be able to apply very stiff contacts that can let the force manifest its way up into the hip. And so when we're looking at the, we want to isolate these, these tests. And this is what we use for our specific joint profiling is where Alex and Tara's work has been so instrumental. James Wilde has been so instrumental in the work that they've done and being able to say, if I do a single leg hip extension with a fairly straight leg, it's going to be a specific joint. It's going to be a specific um, joint range at the knee position relative to maximal velocity sprinting. I'm isolating the hip extension power and seeing, can I produce peak force and can I do it fast? I think that's really what we're looking at there. And if you don't have that ability to generate high forces around the hip in short time frames in 100 to 200 milliseconds, that's a gap. 
that we'll address in our isometric training and our general work. And so you're, again, you're talking about moving up and down the period of all of these exercises that have some relation and transfer to the competition exercise that we're trying to improve. So are you doing any hip-based isometric assessments as a, as an assessment to, to actually guide that piece of programming? Yeah, no, absolutely. So, and this kind of goes back to the logistics piece. Essentially, the way we've done it before is we've relinquished an entire training day to get data. And so in, inside of that training day, we'll do our sprint profiling, our jump profiling, um, you know, our RSI training, and our force plate testing. So part of the for, force plate testing battery is uh, single leg hip extension. So we'll do it with the, the knee around 10 degrees, 10 to 15 degrees, and the knee around 90. So one more specific to maximal velocity, the other more specific to acceleration. And they're going to have different varying degrees of hip involvement and accompanying knee involvement. But we'll essentially lie the athlete on their back, um, get the knee in a fixed position, and have them push into an immovable object with their heel on the force plate. Very similar, I mean, identical to the, the work that Natera and um, his group has been doing. And so this is nothing that we invented. It's just a layer of analysis that we're kind of getting more insights into. So... Like I said, we look at peak force and force under time constraints. So can you produce force and do you have RFD around the hip? And if you, do, if you have a gap in your peak force, we're going to address that first. If you can produce force and you can't do it fast, we're going to address that. And so we use, basically inside of our sessions, we have an isometric block. Or we will put it in contrast work with our main work, but there's always isometric work throughout the entire annual plan for our guys. And that we know that if our athletes have a deficiency in one of those metrics, we're going to use accompanying uh, exercises and isometric work to kind of remedy that problem. So we're looking at can they produce peak force around the hip and can they do it quickly? So again, this is where the test becomes the intervention for us. And essentially that... If you can't produce peak force, we're going to put you in that exact same position and ask you to do it isometrically throughout the training weeks. That is a training stimulus that they need and that will improve. Uh, it'll have a, a high return on investment for us in its simplest terms. And it takes us all of about two or three minutes. And so if we want to add more layers to it, now we can just add more force-dominant exercises around that same joint position. So it's can you do it isometrically? Can you do it dynamically against heavy loads? And so we're using and training these positions and just getting the stimulus they need based on the deficiencies that they have. On the opposite end of the spectrum, if we're looking at rate of force development, we're looking at more of the ballistic ISOs. So you're looking at more of your reflexive uh, uh, type exercises. So instead of um, asking them to produce maximal amounts of force under no time constraints, we're asking them to do maximal amount of force under time constraints is can you do, can you basically produce as much force as possible inside of that joint position in one to two seconds? So we'll do cluster sets of that. So instead of maybe a seven to 10 second rep for the force producing group, we'll just do cluster sets of maybe, you know, five clusters of two seconds where they have to turn on as rapidly as possible and produce as much force as fast as they can. So they're training that rate of force development. 
We're also using the drop ISOs. We're having partners be able to apply force and then having to stabilize as fast as possible. You're able to use, uh, you know, different K box and things like that. And so you're just training all of these different qualities based on whether it's a, a force issue or a rate of force issue. You jumped the gun with the ISO chat, but great work. Great work. That's really, really interesting. Now, but I've, I think I've, I feel like I've kept, I feel like we've been chatting for ages, um, despite a few technical hiccups, but I'm going to firstly just ask you where people can get to know more about you and your work, Ryan. And secondly, social media, where can people find you on social media? Yeah. I mean, I'm, I mean, I know I've put out more stuff over the last couple of years, but it kind of just happened by accident to be perfectly honest, like I was doing good stuff with good people. And I, I just put out information that I find valuable in like our own work and that I would want if I were coaching. So, uh, I mean, me and Les are coming out with a course here, uh, in May, it releases in May. So, um, you can find that on his page and things like that. And then, um, anything around Speedworks and Jonas and what they're doing as far as virtual internship or, or mentorship or kinematics. Like I said, um, uh, you know, the work that they're doing around kinematics and coaching I is incredible. I think it's changing the game. So um, we've personally used it. I know me and have a relationship, but we used it for our guys. Um, it's been, it's been a game changer for us. And so, and then, you know, I'm on social media. I think it's Coach R Grubs. I don't even know my own handle. So <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah. So it's Coach R Grubs, mm-hmm. I think. I mean, I post every now and then things like that. But um, I would be, it would be uh, Ken Clark is research in this space, has been instrumental and he's been one of the biggest mentors for me. So again, like he deserves a lot of the credit for a lot of the work that we've been doing. Um, we've ran training research projects where the amount of work that he did on the back end and stuff like that has been incredible, him and JB and things like that. So the more that we can apply research, um, merge research and train application together in high performance environments, the better, because that's the name of the game is if we're trying to make change and if we're looking at football, like. We need more collegiate football teams and things like that um, to be able to have these training environments because that's how a lot of these research initiatives get started is that they need to be done on our athletes in this environment and kind of merge together in this space. So um, they've been huge in that. Here, here. Two great guys as well, the guys you mentioned, Ken and JB. So uh, good call, good call. Ryan, I'm going to let you go. Thank you very much for your time. Really do appreciate it. Also, thank you for the roundtable a couple of weeks ago, which people can people can check out on uh, on Sportsmith website. But really appreciate your time, Ryan. I'm going to let you go and get one in the afternoon. Thanks, buddy. All right. Appreciate having me. Thanks, mate. Thanks for tuning in to episode 395 of the Pacey Performance Podcast. So in a transition period between leaving Liberty and joining the Texans, I was delighted to chat to Ryan Hope. 
the information that you took away from it was just as much as mine because it was absolutely packed with information. Big thanks to Hawking Dynamics, iMeasure U, Kitman Labs, Samson Equipment and Hytro for sponsoring this episode today. As I say every week, the podcast could not run its current phone without these guys, so I really do appreciate their support. Got some cool guests coming up over the next couple of weeks from all over the globe, so make sure you press subscribe on your chosen podcast player. <laughs>